Welcome back to the Reform Rant. Today is March 23rd. This is episode 16, and we are ranting about reparations, grace, and forgiveness. What if I told you that African-American reparations is a concept that is contrary to core Christian doctrine? Do you think it's possible that the concept of reparations is nothing more than a way for some woke evangelicals to gain, to gain political clout, and score points with their target audience. Can you affirm the biblical doctrines of grace and forgiveness in Christ while also embracing the concept of reparations? What if I told you that Marxists are using the history of slavery, American slavery, to get people to hate their country because they know that that is the first step to destroying it? This is going to be somewhat of a fiery episode, but we're going to jump into all kinds of different topics and subjects as we talk about reparations again. All right, buckle up. In a previous episode, I talked about the biblical's model of reparations and that that model is always personal in nature. The, The Bible espouses personal reparations. It does not espouse this kind of imputed guilt from hundreds of years ago or even 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago and impose that guilt or condemnation or obligation on people who actually did not do or participate in uh, the defrauding of another human being. I've talked about this in previous episodes, so I'm not going to spend any time talking about it today. What I am going to do is take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And uh, we're going to take a look at what the Bible actually does teach us, Christians here in the Christian community, about reparations. So let's jump into this, walk through it. I'm going to also talk about today a little bit about religion in Africa, a little bit about the history of uh, slavery, uh, and then we're going to come back to some things that are going on on Twitter Uh, especially in terms of um, some disagreements we're having with the woke evangelical leaders. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, I want to walk through this because this is what the Apostle Paul, writing to this ancient church located in Corinth, uh, said to them about uh, areas where one Christian may have been guilty of actually defrauding another Christian and how that should be handled. 
He says in verse 1, when any of you has a legal dispute with another, does he dare to go to court before the unrighteous rather than before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to settle trivial lawsuits? Now, pay close attention here, not just to what Paul is saying, but the principles that he's laying down for how the Christian community should operate. And I want to say this one more time. We are Christians. We are coming at this from a Christian perspective. We are not coming at this from a just a universal philosophical perspective so that we're speaking this speaking about this issue to the culture in general we are a closed community in terms of the people that are in the christian community are placed in the com- christian community by god through the regeneration of the holy spirit as the gospel is preached and god uses that instrument to raise totally depraved sinners from their their spiritual deadness. That's how we're in the body. The body is a, is a specific entity that can be identified. The scripture says, he that does righteousness is of God. He that does not is of the devil. We are referred to as children of God, and the unbelieving world is referred to as children of the evil one, children of the devil, under the wrath of God, under condemnation, under divine judgment. There are so many concepts and doctrines in the Christian worldview that are being completely ignored in this conversation about reparations. And when that happens, uh, sometimes we don't realize it, but if we lay these principles down first, we get the basics in place first then we realize you can never get to this conversation on reparations to begin with if you if you lay down the building blocks first. So Paul goes on and says, Do you not know that we will judge angels? Why not ordinary matters? So if you have ordinary lawsuits, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? The civil magistrates have no standing in the church. Paul goes on and says, I say this to your shame. This is shameful. This is shameful that we would take Christian issues, and this is clearly economic. These are economic issues because they're lawsuits. They're legal issues, and there's defrauding going on. Is there anyone among you wise enough, or is there no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between Christian fellow Christians? Why are you going to unregenerate civil authorities to settle issues between two people that are inside the Christian community? Instead, instead, he says, does a Christian sue a Christian and do this before unbelievers? How dare you? Now think about this for a second. You have Christians, guys like the Bidi and Yabwili, Kyle Howard, Anthony Bradley, Jarvis Williams, um, uh, Jamar Tisby, 
Think about this now, what this is doing to the Christian faith. You have these men who are carrying the name of Christ, right? Carrying the name of Christ, telling the world, telling the unbelieving community for the most, most people in this world are lost. Most people in this country are lost. These representatives of Christ are telling pagans, you need to open up the purse strings and give your property to these folks over here because of the wickedness of generations gone by uh, on the issue of slavery and how they were oppressed and, and, and deprived and they are, they are due. The problem here, folks, is this is not just a political issue going on out there among the pagans fighting themselves, fighting with one another over this issue. The problem is these guys are putting the name of Christ on it, attaching it to the church and putting this smell, this stench, this stink on the entire bride of Christ. You see, that's a real problem. All right, let's let's continue with 1 Corinthians 6. Paul says, the fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves demonstrates that you've already been defeated. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? But you yourselves wrong and cheat. And you do this to your brothers and sisters, even. So Paul says here that it is better if we just would endure being wronged, endure being cheated. So here's the point. The world is watching our behavior. We're suing each other, these believers at court, and we're doing it today. We're suing each other as Christians, and the world's watching. Wouldn't it be better for the sake of the gospel, for the reputation of the bride of Christ, for the Christian faith as it and the Christian community, as we are supposed to be a city set on a hill, a light that cannot be hid. Wouldn't it be better for us to say, you know what? I'm going to endure this wrong. This person cheated me out of money. And rather than sue them because they named the name of Christ and I named the name of Christ, rather than sue them, I am going to endure it because if I sue them, the world sees what's going on in the community of faith and it ends up injuring the bride of Christ. It ends up creating obstacles for the message of the gospel. It is a, uh, a, a, a draw, a drag on our reputation, our credibility, right? Uh, and our, our credibility and the integrity of the gospel in the eyes of those who are watching, Right? It's, it's one thing for a Christian to be persecuted for doing good, to be intimidated because of the hate that the unbelieving world has for the gospel. It's another thing for the unbelieving world to watch behavior between two Christians that really is wrong, see it, and criticize us for it. That we should do everything we can to avoid. Paul goes on and says, Do you not know <clears throat> that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. The sexually immoral, idolaters, um, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, greedy, drunkards, verbally abusive, swindlers, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you once lived this way, but you were washed, you were sanctified, 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All right, so these are strong words from the Apostle Paul, strong words and clear instructions on how Christians ought to deal with issues where there is true defrauding going on and reparations are uh, in order. How is that to be settled? First of all, it's personal. It's between two individuals. It's always between two individuals. Anyone who says otherwise has left the Scripture behind. Okay? Anyone who says otherwise is not quoting Scripture to support their view. They're not grounding their argument in Scripture. So, <clears throat> all right, that's, that's one point. I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and, and just study it and think about all the principles that are coming out of those teachings. The second issue is that the church should not be meddling in the affairs of the civil authorities. Okay, What is happening here uh, is that reparations involves woke evangelicals telling the civil authorities, Caesar, Nero, what his policies should be. Paul didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Peter didn't do that. That kind of practice is nowhere witnessed or recorded in the New Testament Scripture. And you cannot go back to the Old Testament and try to impose laws and rules from the ancient theocracy on modern American civil policy and politics and laws. It is an illegitimate hermeneutical move. You cannot do that. If you did that, you're going to end up with all. You're going to end up putting homosexuals to death. That's what you're. That's what you're going to end up doing. So it's arbitrary. It's an illegitimate practice. There's so many things wrong uh, with this. It ignores the typology between uh, ancient Israel and the believing community. These things are for the believing community. Go back into the Old Testament and see how the community is supposed to take care of its widows and its orphans and how it's supposed to be favorable to uh, aliens or immigrants. Uh, and you see the Christian community. That's how we're supposed to act. It's not how American government is supposed to act. Those, those instructions are not for American government. They're for the body of Christ, right? The only cure for these woes is the gospel. So <clears throat> the opposite, actually, uh, of what is happening is what's supposed to happen, and that is that we're supposed to submit to Caesar. We're supposed to honor Caesar. We're supposed to respect Caesar. Do woke social justice advocates obey these biblical mandates? And the answer is, uh, when you look at at, at 1 Peter chapter 2, you look at Romans chapter 13, they do not. They ignore, and I'm going to show uh, at least one instance where someone is, is absolutely completely ignoring it. And all of these guys, for the most part, do this. All right. So they, they want to ignore these mandates where the church is said to submit to civil authorities but they sure do want to take the mandates that were intended only for the ancient theocracy of Israel, twist them, and then impose them on modern American government, right? And that, that just, I'm sorry, but that won't work. That does not work. Now, just 
stay with me here for a couple of minutes. I want to make some comments from a Christian perspective and from a historical perspective. So let's look into the continent of Africa, and this applies to everybody. So I'm singling out Africa because reparations singles out Africa. So any comment I make here about total depravity, any comment I make about deserving uh, the worst sort of treatment, they all apply to every single one of us for our rebellion against God, all right? So if you hear me say something that you think I only mean applies to uh, African Americans or Africans or any other single people group, that's not true. I want to be clear about that. Now, some people are probably going to just halfway listen and still walk away and say things that are just completely and totally ridiculous. So when you look into the religious history of, of the continent of Africa, we have uh, religions like uh, Yoruba, which is a religion that uh, affirms reincarnation. In fact, that's a common trait of many of, of the religions of the African continent. You have this uh, religion also called Odinani, uh, from the Igbo people, believes in a creator God, but it's polytheistic because it believes that God, the creator God, should be approached through other lesser deities, such as the God of Thunder. Uh, there is a belief in the feminine earth spirit in this religion. Her name is uh, Allah, who is responsible for fertility and morality. This religion also affirms reincarnation. And then you've got the religion of Zulu. And this is only three of the numerous religions that uh, emerged in, and that are part of the, uh, uh, the history of, of the African people. Belief in ancestral spirits is strong in Africa, uh, recognized in Zulu, recognizes the existence of a supreme being. Uh, many Zulus retain ancestral worship, even in parallel with their Christianity. So a lot of a lot of times, missionaries will go into certain parts of Africa, and people will convert from being Zulu to Christianity. But they'll hang on to these these components. In fact, there is a strain of um, ancestral worship or a, th a thread of this, the ex exaltation of ancestors in African religions. Uh, Zulu believes that God is above interacting uh, in uh, our day-to-day -day life. Uh, and it also teaches that if you do the right sort of good, you can become one of those worshiped ancestral spirits upon death. But if you don't, you might just completely and totally disappear. So I say that to say, just like every other continent on the planet, the continent of Africa was an idolatrous continent. It is a continent that is in rebellion against God for the most part, just like every other culture. Okay, now I say this to say, when you listen to these arguments that some of these guys are making, they take the issue of American slavery, that one issue, and they use it to paint a picture of American history that is supposedly, supposedly makes it morally inferior to other cultures so that people will, will hate American culture now and look at other cultures as if they are morally superior. That's the move that's being made, folks. And, and I know that 
when you hear that, you're going to think about it for a minute and you're going to go, yeah, that's right. That's, that's exactly what they're doing. And it is exactly what they're doing. So uh, the problem with it, of course, is that we're all in the same boat. We are all in the same boat. These, these guys are imposing modern American cultural values on the church of Jesus Christ. This has happened in the area of racism. It's happening in the area of, of uh, homosexuality. It's happening in the area of feminism. Uh, it's, it's, it's happening in all of these areas where the culture is demanding that the church shift her moral perspective. Now, just a, a, a quick comment or two about the history of slavery. Most people do not realize that Africa has a long history of its own forms of slavery. And in West Africa, this included using slaves in human sacrifices in the practice of their religion. So if you were unfortunate enough to be a slave in certain parts of West Africa, you could find yourself being slaughtered by uh, that particular people group uh, in, in worship of their deity. Folks, this is, that's pretty wicked behavior. In fact, in, the, in, in what's called the Ashanti region, human sacrifices were often combined with capital punishment. So we're going to get a twofer. This person should be put to death. But at the same time, since we're going to put them to death, we may as well go ahead and offer them up to the gods or God, the God, whatever God's being, whatever deity's being worshipped at the time. Robert Davis informs us that as many as 1 to 1.25 million Europeans were captured by Barbary pirates and sold into slavery in North Africa. Now, suffice it to say that slavery in all its cruel forms has a history nearly as old as the fall of humanity. It is the product of the curse. It is the revelation of the wrath of God against the idolatry of human autonomy. And it is virtually impossible to determine which one of us has been impacted by it on the side of privilege or on the side of injury. That is a fact, folks. And I'm coming at this not from a historian's perspective. I'm coming at this not from a political perspective or even so much a philosophical perspective. I'm coming at this from a Christian perspective, from a theological perspective, from a biblical perspective. I'm about what the mission of the church is. And the mission of the church is not to, a meddle, not to meddle in the affairs of Caesar, not to meddle in the affairs of the civil authorities. We started doing this in the fourth century. It was a mistake then. We've continued to do it up to the present day. It's always been a distraction from the core mission of the church. And it's always opened the door to all sorts of corruption. And we need to find a way to strike a balance and get away from this political politicizing of the Christian religion. 
We need to find a way to do that. And we, we, you can do that without creating a new narrative of American culture or American history. You don't have to hate America in order to get the, 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 the politicizing of Christianity uh, purged out of your system. You can still respect and appreciate the good things about this country with, with, and, and remove the politicizing of the Christian faith at the same time. And that's what we need to work towards. Uh, Christians are not Republicans. Republicans are not Christians. And Democrats are not Christians. And Christians are not Democrats. Christians have been called out of this world. We need to get away from this kind of thinking. And when, we're t- when we talk about issues that concern reparations or that concern uh, people who have been defrauded or injured, the only source we have to go by is Scripture. We should not come at this from the culture's position, and that's what we're doing. We are taking the, the, the predominant prevailing views in the culture at the time, and then we're going to Scripture with a lot of assumptions and presuppositions, and we are finding ways to make Scripture support or ground these ideas that we're adopting, even though they are infected with pagan thinking, unbelieving, unregenerate thinking, right? Godless philosophies. The good news, the good news, and this is really where we need to turn the corner on reparations and slavery and racism and all of these things. The good news for the Christian is this. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature and the old things passed away and the new has come. I don't have to worry or feel guilty about slavery in American history. Even if, even if I happen to be the CEO of my, my grandpa's company that can be traced all the way back to benefiting greatly from slavery. I don't have to worry about that, not even for a second. And I'm under no obligation to go out and just start giving money to people because of the color of their skin. I don't have to do that because that is not a biblical principle. Even even if someone could directly link my my great-great-great-great-great-great-grandpa's benefit to their great-great-great-great-grandpa's injury or oppression, I don't owe them anything. My grandpa if indeed he defrauded someone, and slavery isn't ipso facto defrauding, we could, that's, that's more, a lot more complex than people want to admit. Even if he had defrauded someone, it is the responsibility of my grandfather or my ancestor to make that person whole. It isn't my responsibility to make their heirs whole. I am not the one who committed the sin. It's not on me. Sin comes from the heart. Sin comes from the heart. We all benefit 
somewhere along the way from someone sinning. We all experience some degree of privilege in this life somewhere along the way from someone who sinned and I benefited because of it. You need to let that sink in. That is a fact. It's impossible to deny. All right, let's turn the corner here and talk a little bit about um, grace. What is biblical grace? Paul says in Ephesians 2, says, for by grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. Through what? Faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, so that no one can boast. So grace, grace is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. Grace is God's unmerited, unearned, not worthy to receive favor. He owes me nothing but the worst. Yet, he looks at me and smiles through the cross of Christ and extends to me forgiveness and mercy and compassion and kindness because of his grace, not because of me. If you deny grace, either in practice or by confession, you are denying the Christian faith. You would not be considered orthodox in your Christian view. Enter the woke evangelicals, the B.D. and Yabwili, Jamar Tisby, Kyle Howard, Russell Moore, and others like Anthony Bradley. And what ends up happening is taken to its, its logical conclusion, you have a situation where grace, grace is in jeopardy. Grace is being corrupted. Grace is being perverted. Grace is being cast to the ash heap. It's being redefined as something that it is not. And so what, when you say that, you say, okay, great, reparations, reparations threaten the cardinal doctrine of divine grace. Reparations threaten the cardinal doctrine of divine grace. If you dismiss the cardinal doctrine of divine grace, Christianity collapses. All right, so with the hypothetical syllogism, you would then end up concluding that reparations then are an immediate threat to the Christian worldview because they are an immediate threat to the doctrine of grace. They are an immediate threat to Christian forgiveness. Right now, this is blown up over in the in the Twitter world, where um, well, I'll talk about I'll talk about first of all a comment that the BDN Yabwili uh, posted. He says the color of compromise is green, white, and red. Green representing all the money tied up in a system built on racism. Right, so the American system is built on racism. We don't need 
we don't need any data. We don't need any facts. We don't need any causal links between the system and the racism that it's built on. We just can say it. And people want to believe it. And that's why it's okay to say it. It's okay to say something people want to believe in our culture today. No one challenges it because it's what people want to believe. And when you do challenge it, well, all kinds of crazy things happen. We'll get to that in just a second. He says it's white for white supremacy. Here we go. White supremacy. And red for the blood spilled in the name of white supremacy and greed. What is really striking to me is the fact, is this fact. If it were not for white men in the history of of our nation, all the way down, all the way down, if it were not for white men, slavery would have never ended. Slavery would continue to this day. If it were the will of white men in the overwhelming majority for slavery to have continued in this country, it would exist today. But because white men decided this is not the way forward, this needs to end for all kinds of different reasons, some of them moral, some of them economic, just for all kinds of different reasons, it should end. And they put an end to it. There is never any credit given. There's no acknowledgement given for that. Even though there was a lot more white men who spilled their blood and gave their lives to end slavery than there were black men. That is never mentioned. And it just it, it's mind-boggling to me. Right? If and that, so so let me say this as well. In this tweet, there's a there's a guy who responds to Thabiti whose name is John C. Calhoun, and he says, Amen. America is incurably white supremacist. It is in American DNA. The only option is for every race to be ruled out by their to be ruled by their own kind. <laughs> uh, okay. So melanin is not a, a factor uh, for race. It's not criteria for race. That's, that's, that's the, first, the first thing. So <clears throat> America is, is white, it's in its uh, uh, white su- supremacy is in American DNA. Really, if that were the case, as you, as you trace the history of this, and I'm leaving a ton of stuff out, and I'm not a, I'm not a history uh, expert, but if you go from if you go from slavery to the end of slavery through the Jim Crow era to the Civil Rights era, uh, you also recognize actually that it was a bunch of white Republicans who were responsible for ushering in civil rights even though they're the evil guys these days. Um, But again, the point here is that if it were not for the actions and attitudes of the majority 
of white men in America. Slavery and racism, uh, let's say not racism, discrimination based on race as a general way of practicing would still exist. But because white men decided this is not the way forward, changes need to be need to take place, then so we don't have we don't have these issues. We have made tons of progress, if you want to call it progress in this area, and I think I do call it progress because as you look at the as you look at our systems and our structures and you look at the opportunities and you look at the the equality now that exists you've created a marketplace where we benefit from the best talent and that's the whole point right if you are discriminating against someone based on melanin content why would you so if I'm if I need a if I need a service if I am in need of something and I want the best why would I eliminate someone because of their the 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 melanin content in their skin when I could be eliminating the only chance I have at getting the best of the product or service that I want That's silly so in the system that we have today, the free market system, you can make yourself valuable by providing excellence and quality in terms of service, product, and, and these sorts of things in, in the capital market system. So this is, when you think about, when you think about uh, wanting to get the best, wanting to have the best, this is the, this is the best system. And if you can come up with something that's going to improve people's lifestyle or going to positively impact their lifestyle, people really don't care. Most people, most people, I'll say most people. Racism still exists in this country. It'll always exist. It's a product of the fall. People are filled with hate because they hate God. You're not going to get rid of racism. Not, not in the world. Not in the unbelieving community. You're not going to get rid of adultery. You're not going to get rid of fornication. You're not going to get rid of murder. You're not going to get rid of stealing. You're not going to get rid of, of illicit sex. You're not going to get rid of homosexuality. You're not going to get rid of divorce. You're not going to get rid of any of those things. But in the church, in our community, there's no place for those things. There's no place for racism. There's no place for hatred. There's no place for... Uh, people treating each other unfairly, unjustly, we can look back into the Old Testament and see how we're supposed to treat each other justly and fairly. We can see it in the New Testament. These things are written for those who have genuine faith. What is the message to the world? Is the message to the world Create systems that are fair and uh, equal. and No, the world's message is one. Repent and believe the gospel. If you do that, all these other principles, values, come flooding into your life through 
the power of the Holy Spirit as the Word of God floods your life and becomes the most important thing to you and pleasing God. That's, that's the way forward. This fixing the culture without the gospel is, is putting the cart in front of the horse. Even if you did that, even if you made utopia in the here and now, if people are not worshiping God, acknowledging God, submitting to God, they are still in rebellion to God. They are still being cast into outer darkness. They are still under condemnation and judgment. They are still guilty before the Heavenly Father. And their eternal destination is still doom and dread. Separation from God forever. What have you done? All right, let's continue. Uh, Thabiti Anyabwili also threw up another post. In response to this post, I think he got some heat from others. It looks like he got some heat from the Christian Post. I did not, I did not follow this out, but he's replying to uh, the Christian Post and one other person when he says, what I was trying to get at with the phrase is the sense of closure that's needed. We need closure. Who needs closure? Right, this is what he said. As I listen to op opponents of reparations, there's this lament. When will enough be enough? They feel saddled with the past. Removing that is what I was trying to suggest, not an actual guilt for slavery. So here's, the, here's my response to that. First of all, when you say closure, I, I really haven't the slightest clue what you mean because I never owned a slave. My family never owned a slave. Um, I have never, to my knowledge, ever discriminated against someone on the basis of color. It's never been in my DNA. When I was a young boy, I grew up extremely poor in West Virginia. And one of the things, my dad was not a perfect man. We, did, we were not a church-going family. I didn't come to faith in Christ until I was 14 and had only been in a church building twice up to that time. And those were when I was a tiny child. I don't I hardly remember either. One I don't remember at all, and the other one I barely remember. I was five. So I came to faith when I was 14. My dad, I think, was 34 when he came to faith which was the same time. He came to faith either just before me or just after me. But the one thing he did instill in me was an absolute hatred for racism. Now, I, I don't know where that came from. I don't know what he experienced. I don't know what he saw, where he was exposed. All I know is that he hated racism and he wouldn't tolerate certain attitudes, and uh, there were certain words that if you said around him, you would get knocked to a wall. I watched his reaction to people who used certain words that he just would not tolerate. That's how I grew up. So I, I'm not, I don't need any closure. And the second thing is, I'm not saddled with the past. I don't, I don't have any guilt about the fact that slavery existed in American culture, um, 
or that there was discrimination. I, I didn't do any of that. I understand that there's all kinds of injustices in the world, even to this very day. It happens all over the country. And that's the pagan culture for you. That's the result of, of sin. That's the product of the fall. It is the wrath of God on a human society, a human race that is rebellious against God. So in, in, in commenting on, on this, the Beatty said some other things about grace and, and forgiveness, implying that the only way for us to really, truly heal and get forgiveness is through this idea of reparations. So I called Thabiti a marked man. This man threatens grace. This man threatens uh, Christian forgiveness. At this point, he should be a marked man. From the standpoint that Romans 16, 17 says to make note of those, notice those, pay attention to those who are causing dissensions contrary to the teachings which you have received and have nothing to do with them. Right? So in the middle of my tweet about defending grace and Christian forgiveness, I make this comment, and these guys go absolutely bananas as if somehow I'm threatening violence. And Kyle J. Howard jumped in the mix. He says, what I have said, what have I said? This is Coward, Howard's tweet. Coward, yeah. What have I said, he says. These social, these anti-social justice folks not only bear false witness against believers, which I, there's no false witness there uh, at all. There's uh, uh, a criticism of Thabiti's view. Many are no better than Trump when it comes to potentially inciting violence. Look at the language. Thabiti, a black pastor, should be a marked man. What does that term mean? Well, it means what Paul said it means in Romans chapter 16, 17. That's what it means. But even after it being made clear to these guys that this is the reference, and many people coming to my defense that that's what I was talking about, these guys wouldn't let it go. In fact, one person, an elder from a church out in, I think, Washington, who graduated from the master's college and his pastor graduated from the master's seminary, used the expression domestic terrorism or domestic terrorists in his tweet with me. This is where these guys go. Now, a final word about who should receive reparations. So what we're going to have to do is trace the history of each African back to their homeland, if we're going to do this. And what we want to do is make sure that they have no history of slavery or oppression in their lives, either here or in this, this country, okay, or there. If in any way their ancestors benefited from other people's oppression, well, then we're going to need to make sure that whatever portion is assigned to that modern African in America, the fair share of that goes to 
those that they that their ancestors oppressed and injured so that the healing can be complete not just between the white guy in American culture and the African whose ancestors were slaves, but also so that the uh, African whose ancestors were slaves can be healed and restored to those people who their ancestors enslaved while still on the African continent. Okay, so yeah, figure out. I don't know how much this is all going to cost, but according to these empty-headed woke evangelicals who have not given this uh, idea an ounce of consideration beyond the surface level, it seems like to them it's necessary for healing and for ending racism. Now, how it's going to end racism, I have no idea. Okay? According to them, reparations can accomplish what apparently the gospel cannot. Divine grace and Christian forgiveness simply aren't enough. Well, no apostle ever said that in Scripture. So we have to ask that question. What does this mean for grace and Christ's atonement? And this is where we go back to an understanding of God's holiness, an understanding of our rebellion and our sin, and a right sense of grace and forgiveness until the church can swallow the hard truth that there has never been a slave who didn't deserve to be enslaved. It's going to struggle with this issue. All right? I'm going to say that one more time. Until the church can swallow the hard truth that there has never been a slave who did not deserve to be enslaved, it's going to struggle with this, this issue. All those Europeans that were taken hostage or kidnapped by the pirates and sold into African slavery on the African continent, they deserved to be sold into slavery. Even the Christian ones. The the numbers are somewhere around 35,000 Christians who were, were kidnapped and sold into slavery and treated... In, in, in such manners that it would make some American forms of slavery seem mild. See, this is directly linked to God's righteous nature and man's sinful rebellion. We all deserve to be enslaved. If we don't start there, we're going to end up in bad places. See, because starting there, starting there means, if we start there, that means we understand God's righteous nature. We get it. He's holy. We understand our sinful nature. We're not holy. There is nothing good in us. We don't deserve any good from the hand of God, given our sinful rebellion. That's where we start, folks. If we can start there and we can understand that, then we understand what grace means. We understand how rich and incredible God's grace is. We understand what what the atoning work of Christ did at the cross and how amazing that work is. What an act of, of grace on God's part toward us who did not deserve it. And then we can start asking questions like, if my parents or grandparents or great-grandparents or some folks in my life, in my history, 
were kidnapped and taken into slavery and beaten and you know how can i having offended god in the ways that i've offended god who is perfectly holy and should never be offended by a, a, a an ant or a flea like me. How could I ever justify turning around and saying, somebody else owes me something because they damaged me and I'm not going to let it go until they make me whole. Okay. The reason these discussions are coming up, honestly, when you really strip it away, is that we don't understand the gospel. You see, if you don't understand God's righteousness and you don't understand the nature of sin, you don't appreciate the sinfulness of sin, you can't understand grace, you can't understand forgiveness. And if you do not understand those things, folks, you cannot understand the gospel. All right. Thank you for listening to The Reformed Rant. If you have questions, comments, suggestions, ideas, and you're listening to the podcast on uh, a mobile device, you can leave message messages, um, questions, comments right there on that mobile device. If not, please go over to Reformed Reasons on the front page. Leave us a note. Send us a note of appreciation. Let us know that you're listening. Let us know that you're benefiting. Let us know that, that this, is, this is something that's adding value to your life. It's very encouraging for us when we, we get those, um, those, that type of comment and feedback. If you have suggestions on how we can improve this, if you have questions on uh, things that, we, that you would like for me to talk about, if I, if I feel... If I feel qualified, then I'll, I'll be happy to put them on the list and talk about them. I appreciate uh, the time that you've given to listening to the pod podcast. Keep the faith. Stay in the fight. Continue to look to Christ for all things. God bless. This podcast is part of the Bible Thumping Wingnut Network. Bible Thumping Wingnut.com.